last week about those ups and downs in life, right? That we face. He's dealing with the dullness or the dryness uh, that the patient is going through. And he's talking about exploiting those situations. He says, I hope my last letter was con- has convinced you that the trough of dullness or dryness the richer patient is going at present will not of itself give you a soul, but needs to be properly exploited. And then he's going to get into the forms of exploitation. These are times that we've got to guard ourselves. Those dry times in our lives, the times that we go through life and we don't necessarily feel God right there, right? A lot of times we go through those experiential moments. And I've known some people that will bounce from one experience to another. When they're in one experience and it starts to dwindle down, they'll go jump to another exciting experience. And that's dangerous in itself because it can be conflicting at times, but it's in those moments of dryness that we can learn to grow, isn't it? That we can gain some knowledge, and we get into, if, if we take and exploit those dryness ourselves, not in the wrong way, but in, in recognizing them, it should drive us to not get away from God, but explore His Word more. It should drive us into our knees more, into prayer more, to take and learn from that point in time. A lot of times those dryness are plateaus in our life. So what's the first thing that he wants to exploit? It's the thing that most people don't want to talk about. Right? Often uncomfortable to talk about. Kids ask about it. But that particular thing of sex can take and impact us in a negative way. It says in that second paragraph, in the first place I've always found that the trough periods of the human undulation provides excellent opportunity for all sensual temptations, particularly those of sex. So sensual, those, those things that drive us as humans, Right? Why is it that sex is an issue? Why does he see that as an opportunity of exploitation? Brenda. I may not have turned it on. That's my fault. I take full responsibility. I grabbed the mic but didn't turn it on. <laughs> Try it again. Does that work? There, there we go. Um, I think it's one of the easiest things because it's a natural thing for reproduction. It's natural for us to look at the opposite sex and be attracted to them. And the enemy knows that that's just one of the easiest things for him to just slide in and just throw temptation out there. And it's really, really hard for us to resist it a lot of time, especially for us males. Um, that's something I've, you know, always experienced in my life, you know, before I was a Christian and after I was a Christian, so. Hey. Uh, um, well, it's hard to talk about with others, and I think Satan exploits that. It's hard for young boys to talk about, for girls to talk about. Um, sexuality gets into molestation, it gets into exploitation. People don't want to talk, rape, people don't want to talk about it. People are made to feel ashamed about it. Um, and I think Satan uses that to win people over and destroy people. Yeah. Anyone else? It's, it's really the, a, we are made, God created us for relationships, right? He created us, he wanted that relationship we look through scripture, it is about that broken relationship and restoration of that relationship. When we're going through dry moments in our lives, oftentimes our relationships are struggling at the same point. Those dry spiritual points, sometimes it seems dry within those relationships. And that's where temptation is easily exploited. 
Because maybe the, when we're dealing with a husband and wife, maybe the wife is not feeling appreciated, loved by the husband, and somebody comes along and pays attention to her because it's a dry point for her. On the opposite side, the husband doesn't feel respected, isn't, doesn't feel taken care of, and somebody comes along and pays attention, and, and it makes a trip point in our life. We see in Scripture it says that when it comes to sex, it has a more impact in our lives when it's done in the wrong way, when it's a sinful act, right? It says there's more impact. Why is it more impact? Because it's emotional connection. There's a lot of heavy guilt that is engaged in that aspect that comes with it. And, and the connection happens. You know, Pastor talked about uh, a while back that they have found that when there is multiple sexual partners and females, the DNA they have found in that spinal fluid of various types of DNA. So it has a greater impact. And that's what engages with it. We look at one of the challenges when we're looking at husbands and wives is we don't consider sometimes 1 Corinthians 7. We want to protect one another from those opportunities, right? If we look at 1 Corinthians 7, it's got a whole list of things and it deals with that sexual nature within a couple. And one of the things it says in verses 3 through 5 is husbands and wives should satisfy each other's sexual needs. A wife doesn't have authority over her own body, but her husband does. In the same way, a husband doesn't have, in the same way, a husband doesn't have authority over his own body, but his wife does. Don't withhold yourselves from each other unless you agree to do so for a set time. Devote yourselves to prayer. Then you should get back together. Why? It says, so that Satan doesn't use your lack of self-control to tempt you. We see also in that same passage when it deals with the singles. Paul says, I'd like you to be single like I am. But if you can't handle that, your desires, it's better to marry. Some translations better to burn to marry than burn. So if you can't control your desires, you get married. It is better for you to marry than to burn with sexual desire. Now, to just get married for that reason is not is the marriage is going to fail. All right. So understand that aspect. We're talking about in in a good context of that aspect, right? I think about when I was reading this. And he was talking about exploiting. And you, there's points in here where he talks about, you know, God created the good stuff. One more time, the enemy he's created that. And we'll get to that here in a minute. I think about a, a radio show I was listening to when I was about seventh grade. My parents had a long commute, and we went with them and did private school, and so uh, traveled back home. And the radio was... Uh, talking one time that burnt cookies cause cancer. And I decided at that point, everything causes cancer, and I'm just going to enjoy food. But what was the point that was trying to be made? Things too extreme, too excess, can be dangerous. Things that are not used in the right way can be dangerous. It says further on in this passage, he says, this may surprise you because, of course, there is more physical energy and therefore more potential appetite at the peak periods. He's talking about hitting at the low times, but you must remember that the powers of resistance are then also at their highest. I know this about my own life. When I've had a spiritual peak, and usually when I have had the opportunity to preach, I expect... It's not trying to bring something up that doesn't exist. I know from my life what, it, what happens. 
when I've had those great spiritual moments, I begin looking for Satan's trips because they're coming. Because I also know at those times, when I've had the spiritual highs, there's a spiritual low that goes with it. There is a physical and emotional exhaustion. If you don't know this about, about pastors, taking and preparing for a sermon, I'm an extrovert, so it doesn't impact me in the same way, but many pastors are introverts. And they've prepared and they get up and they put up themselves emotionally, physically, mentally into a sermon to give out. By the time they leave, oftentimes they're drained. And it's one of the reasons why it used to be many pastors took Monday off because they were just down. And what a lot of pastors realize is, no, that's not the time to be out. It's time to be engaged, involved, because when I'm out, that's when temptation comes. That's when challenges come. But those peak times we're ready for, right? Being in the army, the army enemy doesn't strike when you're ready for them. They strike when you're not ready. But that's when training comes involved. So if you're prepared for it, you can counteract those things. If you're looking for it, you'll counteract them. So he talks about the fact that those seem like the great times to engage, but he's also ready to defense. Hit him when he's low. Hit him when he's down, right? What's the saying? Hit them when they're down? It's when they're ready to be taken out, right? The attack has a much better chance of success when the man's whole inner world is drabbed, cold, and empty. Why? Why is that the best time to, to take and get somebody? Um, I would say that it's, it's similar to like your immune system. You know, you have a lower immune system, you are exposed to germs, you're going to get sick. You know, or the chances of you getting sick are a lot greater. Same thing. You aren't in a good emotional state. You aren't in a good place spiritually with God. You're, whatever is going on with your relationship between, you know, you and him at that moment, if it's not great, then of course you're not going to run to him. It's going to be a lot easier for you to to keep going the other direction if he's not right there. You know, it's just going to be easier for the enemy to come in and, you know, take that over just like it would be for a germ on your immune system. When life is feeling bored and drab, what are you looking for? Looking for something to make you feel alive? Right? Looking for some excitement? Fun? And that's okay if you're looking for it in the right direction. But it's those times that we got to guard ourselves because what looks good is false. I was born and raised in, in Nevada. And if you've ever been to Nevada, from the outside, everything looks great. Bright lights. The bells that are going off in the casinos are intended to entice you into it. Growing up there, we had slot machines in the grocery stores I worked. And you become numb to those sounds. But you go there, you hear the tinkling of the money and the bells, and, and you get drawn in. You see some excitement of somebody winning, and you get drawn in. But I will tell you, you leave those places so empty. Loss of cash, loss of excitement... I have seen Nevada just crush relationships because they get drawn into that stuff. And it's exciting for a moment. But you go to the other side of that and it's devastating. It goes on here in the bottom part of this paragraph on, on page 57 on my, in my electronic here. And it said, it is also to be noted that, through, that the trough of sexuality is subtle, different in quality from that of the peak. 
much less likely to lead to the milk and water phenomenon, which the humans call being in love. Much more easily drawn into perversions, much less contaminated by those generous and imaginative and even spiritual contaminants, which often render human sexuality so disappointing. So if we're doing, hitting him, trying to hit him at the high points, if, especially if we're dealing with single or even married, you're trying to hit him at the high points, it's going to create an excitement of love and, and heading in the right direction. And he's saying you want to divert that. You want to change it into something that's perverse. And we see this. I've seen it crush lives. Because they go down that path and it crushes them. I had a soldier when I was deployed to Iraq a number of years ago who was the unit's purveyor of porn. And he got so engaged in that that he got engaged in some very perverse things that ended up crushing his career and sending him to prison. Because he was in that low moment of his life. And he was trying to fill it with something. He wanted to fill something. You ever been in that place you just need to fill something? And so you engage in something that you later are going like, why did I do that? What's the point to that? I feel empty now. We see that it that finishes out. It says it's the same with other desires of the flesh. Other things that we're trying to seek. Fame. Acknowledgement. Right? Importance. What are some other things that would be desires of the flesh that could be drawn away? Money. Food. Anything that you place in front of God, right? Good things... They can be good things. Food is a good thing. Money. Is it money that's the root of all evil? It's the love of money, right? We often get that a little confused. Money is not the root of all evil, but the love of money will cause you to do things to get that that go against Scripture. Alcohol? Pride. Say that again? Pride. Pride? You know, the thing about the military that can be challenging is you get an evaluation every year, and what that evaluation says can determine whether you're going to get promoted or not. And there's some people, and I see this within, the, within chaplains sometimes, they get so wrapped up in that evaluation that they start heading down a path that otherwise they would not. They get so wrapped up in that, that hey, look at me, t- evaluation type thing, that they're devastated when they're not looked at. Now, it's easy to say when you're moving along and getting promoted, but can you maintain that when you're not getting the promotions? I had a friend recently dealt with a, not a a military, but a civilian dealt with an impact of that where he applied for a promotion and they picked somebody that was junior instead. And you go through those flesh. I did it. I'm four times passed over as, an, as for a full bird colonel for 06. And the first time it really stung and I thought, what's wrong with me? You know, what do I need to do? And I was trying to figure that out. Because I don't want anybody to look at me that, 
Well, what's wrong with you? You can get promoted, you know? But I had to turn around and say, okay, what does God want for me? Why is he not allowing it? Because if we believe that God is a God that brings about the things we need in our life, right? Seek first the kingdom of God, then everything else is added. If we believe that, then I have to believe that he is keeping me from being promoted for a reason. I don't see it all. I don't know it all. And there was a purpose and a reason. Could simply have gotten, been so that I could get back here to Fort Carson so I could retire. Because this is where he wants me and I didn't have to move back here. He placed me here. It's the things of the flesh. What are those things? You have to look inside of yourself and say, what is it that drives me that can be used against me and exploited by Satan? It's a self-assessment that you have to do, right? And be conscious of that factor so that when you're having those moments, you're not being drawn in to his trap that he's going to happen. I like what it says here, and I think it's an important fact. It goes back to what I was talking about, about the burnt cookie. It says, never forget that when we are dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. Never forget that when we're dealing with any pleasure in its healthy and normal and satisfying form, we are, in a sense, on the enemy's ground. Why? Why, is it, why would they be as demons on the enemy's ground when it's in the normal sense? Because we've got to realize that God created those bits of pleasures in its normal sense, in its place where it's supposed to be. Right? I mean, if you we can go back to the sex thing, if you wonder about that, just go back to the book of Song of Solomon. We've got a whole book that deals with that, that says it's too meant to be a pleasurable thing for a husband and wife. It even says, be cautious of awaking that too soon. Right? Music, pleasurable enjoyable, in the right context, in the right things. we got to guard ourselves for some of that stuff. Same thing with anything, though. In excess, it can be too much. There was an old saying that uh, we work for the weekend, right? I don't know if anybody remembers that saying. Work for the weekend. Weekends are to be enjoyed or those days off. But we've got to put it in the right context, the right place. It says, one word is saying, I know we have won many a soul through pleasure. I mean, look at it. The sex industry, the pornography, the gambling. It draws people in and then they lose their relationship with God because it's an excess that they do and it's in an unhealthy way that it's engaged in. It creates guilt that now you have to try to figure out and overcome. But it goes on, all the same, it is his invention, not ours. It's God's invention. Oftentimes in the, within the church, and I've seen this growing up in the church, especially, fortunately we have realized that 
not all pleasure is wrong, but the church tries to regulate pleasure, don't they? What's the intent of that? Why do we see that the church as a whole tries to regulate those pleasures? Say that again. Keep people away from temptation. The, the, the intent is good. The problem is, is that if you're having too much fun, it's got to be got to be wrong, right? If you're a Christian, you can't have fun. Before you were saved, how many had heard that lie? Christians can't have fun. It's just wrong, right? Every week. My family goes over to Nikki's and we have a great time playing various games, cards or whatever. Great time. Christians having fun together, building relationship. Laughing is a good thing. How many want to be a part of something where you walk around with a scowl on your face, right? I want to be a part of that. Really? I want to be a part where there's excitement, where there's fun, where there's things going on. In the right context, though. In the right way. Right? Only fun until you lose. Only fun until you lose? Yeah, that's why Nikki hates losing. (laughs) (laughs) I know nothing about it. I am not competitive one bit. No, I'm competitive a lot. <laughs> I had, uh, I'm, I'm competitive enough that I've had commanders stop telling me where uh, staff PT is. I can't understand why. Did not mean to knock that individual down while I was going for the ball. Okay, maybe I did. Probably. Probably. My fault. <laughs> I was in Iraq. Not Iraq. I was deployed to Kuwait. My worst deployment. Uh, not because it was Kuwait and anything happened. It was because it was Kuwait and nothing was happening. And I saw family members on one side because there's permanent party where I was deployed to. And I'd rather be shot at and reason not to have my wife with me when I saw that. But uh, we had a flag football team and we had a competition and I busted through the line and got the flag of the quarterback and threw it down in all excitement. And my commander says, that's my chaplain. I have no idea about com- being competitive. If any of my people are hearing this, do not repeat stories. Um, all you we can do is to encourage humans to take pleasures which our enemy has produced at times, or in ways or in degrees, which he has forbidden. Hear that piece, right? There's things that God has created to be enjoyable, but used in the right way, right context. Misused, it can cause issues. I got a whole toolbox of tools. And they work great when used in the right way. I've injured myself when I've used a tool not intended for its use. Or I've broken it when I've used it in a way that it wasn't intended. God has given us great things to enjoy. But when we do it in the wrong way, it creeps sin into our life. So all we can do is to encourage the humans to take the pleasures which our enemy has produced at times or in ways or in degrees which he has forbidden. Times, ways, or degrees. Actions in the wrong place is sin.
I, I look at, I think about that passage of scripture that talks about men and women having desires for the same sex in perverse ways. The desire to come together in a relationship is not wrong. Coming together in a relationship in a wrong way is a sin. God created the things that desire. It's why I often tell a lot of men when they're praying, God, remove this desire from me. Well, you're probably praying the wrong way when it's dealing with that sexual and draw to pornography. You're probably looking at it and asking for the wrong thing because God created that desire within you. So asking him to take away something he created it's taking away the desire toward porn that needs to be taken away and be directed in the right way. That energy, that, that force directed in the right way. Praying for God to remove something that he created in you, for you to be drawn to the opposite sex, instead of be drawn to porn, you should be drawn to your spouse. Or if you're single, it should cause you to build that relationship up with that person you're probably dating to bring it to a point of marriage. It's taking that desire, that positive, and keeping it in a positive nature. And I talk about men, but I also know that there are women out there who have become addicted to porn, too. That seeking that desire of relationship is what it comes down to. God created the desire for a relationship. He created that so Adam would be drawn to Eve. He created so we would be drawn to relationships in the right way. It says, hence we always try to work away from the natural condition of any pleasure. Natural condition of any pleasure is what God created to that in which it is least natural, least redolent of its maker, and least pleasurable. That's kind of a dichotomy, don't you think? When we consider the pleasure becoming least pleasurable. What makes something least pleasurable? What changes it from something good to something bad? I believe that would be like excessiveness. Say again? Excessiveness or abusing something pleasurable. Because it takes and puts guilt upon us, right? It's fun for the moment, and then we have to deal with the after effects. Going to a casino can be fun for a moment, as long as the money's flowing in, and you go, I got to get more money, I got to do more money. And then you walk out with less money than you walked in with. The guilt of sex outside of marriage, the guilt of excess of things. Money is not, not bad. Money is, is neutral. The love of money causes us to do things that we don't want to do. So I apologize if this makes anybody uncomfortable, but does that mean we are not supposed to have righteous pleasure in excess? Like No being intimate with our spouses on a daily basis or however often you see fit as a couple to do that. No, it's God and created. <laughs> it's God created how a couple come together and what they choose to come together at is not necessarily wrong. Okay. Whatever acts they're choosing to do 
that are comfortable as long as they're not demeaning and, and the other one is not uncomfortable. It says the marriage bed is undefiled. And that goes back to that passage. It says, wives don't keep yourself from a husband. A husband don't keep yourself from a wives. The challenge that a marriage has is misunderstanding that part of the relationship. And what causes a Christian man to struggle is when he's continually told no, he will struggle in his life. But the same thing is the man refusing his wife. And I know men that do. Part of it is because they're engaged in something they should not be. But the other part is, is maybe they've gone into emotional peace or who knows what it is, but we see that passage says it's an agreement on a couple that says we're not going to do this for a period of time for prayer because we're fasting, because we're whatever. But we're going to come back together. Why? So Satan doesn't utilize it. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I think when pleasurable things don't become pleasurable anymore is also when we're engaging in things to hide pain or to hide, uh, we don't want to deal with our emotions or what's going on. So we engage in things and we just go into a deep hole with it. And then when the pleasurable thing is done, then it's like, I'm still stuck with my emotions, <laughs> you know, avoidance, avoidance, avoidance yeah. is a, is a, is where a pleasure can come wrong. Because we're now placing that in the place of God bringing about what we need. We're going to take and seek out this and we bounce from one thing and another because we're avoiding what God wants us to deal with. That can be wrong. Good stuff, enjoyable times, all within a good context, but at the same time, if it's avoiding what God's saying do, then we're doing it wrong. Yeah, even something like what you were saying with like music. Sometimes I put on worship music, but I'm not listening. I'm not praying or anything. And sometimes I hear the Holy Spirit be like, turn it off. Turn off the worship music because you're not even talking to me. You know, you're not talking to me. You're as not the paying Lord. attention. Yeah. You're not, because what does the scripture say? Be still and know, right? And there's times and moments we've got to be still so we can hear. Sometimes we allow our lot, a lot of things to engage, and it seems great and spiritual, music, or a whole lot of repetitive prayers, and God's saying, can I get a word in? Pleasurable, enjoying that worship music, you may not be fully engaged to it, but you are feeling pleasure from it, but if you're avoiding what God wants you to do, again, then it is wrong. And yes, Satan can use, utilize those things to distract us from doing what God wants us to do. It seems great. And there's a part in here we're going to get to in a moment that deals with that type of thing. It says, an ever-increasing crazy, excuse me, an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is a formula. Ever-increasing craving for diminishing pleasure. What I found when you utilize, when pleasure is used in the wrong way, you've got to have more and more of it to bring the same excitement. When you take and utilize porn to, to take and meet a craving, you will find yourself going down a path because it engages that part of our brain much like drugs do, that you have to have more and more drugs where you have to have more and more of, a, of things and it can hit you down in a deviant place that you never thought about. I've known those that go in places that they step back and go, what am I doing? How do I end up here? Because it's a 
diminishing pleasure. So we've got to get something else because it's being used in the wrong way. When we use it in the way God intended that pleasure to be, we're going to get fulfillment of it. To get the man's soul and give him nothing in return, that is what really gladdens our father's heart. I'm talking about Satan. And the troughs are the time for beginning that process. And how do they do that? What is it that we see here that is the greatest thing that Satan uses against us? Pleasure. It's our thoughts. It's our thoughts. It says here, it says, but there is an even better way of exploiting the trough. I mean, through the patient's own thoughts about it. It's through our thoughts. Second Corinthians 10.4 says, the weapons we use in our fight are not made by humans. Rather, they are powerful weapons from God. With them, we destroy people's defenses. That is, their arguments. A passage goes on to say to take every thought captive. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13, says, When someone is tempted, he shouldn't say that God has tempted him. God can't be tempted by evil, and God doesn't tempt anyone. Everyone is tempted by his own desires as they lure him away and trap him. Then desires becomes pregnant and gives birth to sin. When sin grows up, it gives birth to death. It begins up here. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're supposed to take those thoughts captive. It's the enemies that's going to take a hold of that if we don't take every thought captive, right? James 1 says what? It is our own desires. Where do our desires start? In our thoughts, right? We dwell upon it. And we think about it. It's not the first look that causes one to stumble. It's that second look. It's that stare. God created humans and they're beautiful. And that first glance, we notice something beautiful it's a second glance and the stare that turns into the lust. When it comes to money, it's the love of money. It begins in a thought. Man, if I had, if I won the lottery, I would do X, Y, Z. Do you know how many people who've won the lottery are miserable and have their money gone within a very short time and are in debt worse than they were before? More money does not resolve the issues that you may have. Taking and allowing the money to work for you will resolve the issues. And for those who might be in a financial bind, I suggest to you Financial Peace University. Take a look at those steps. They're biblically based. And it's about doing more with what you have for the kingdom of God. We have to take the thoughts captive. It's where the problems begin. It's where the issues are at. Yeah. When you're talking about keeping our thoughts captive, I was right on page with you right there because it gets to a point where like you have these thoughts and you can battle it and you can rebuke those thoughts as much as possible. But until you actually really get a hold on those thoughts, what those thoughts are doing is causing us to premeditate our sin. So we sit there and think about things like, for instance, if I had this amount of dollars, I could go do this, this and that. And it's like, oh, well, that'll never happen. But that thought's there. We haven't fully taken that thought captive and done away with it. So when that opportunity arises, it's just that rush 
that comes right back in and it's like, oh my goodness, it's here, I'm doing it. And then sets in the emptiness once that's all done and over with and you're like, well, that was worth nothing. So I see what you mean when you're talking about getting those thoughts, just, I mean, taking those thoughts captive, you know, rebuking those before they even start, not letting them even get, you know, their foot in the doorway. So just wanted to chime in on that. Yeah, you dwell upon those thoughts. That's not just dwelling upon it. It is capturing them and rebuking them. When it takes and turns, and you know when that is, you know what the point is in your life that Satan is turning a thought into a dwelling that turns into sin. Well, I haven't acted upon it. No, but you're dwelling upon it. And it's going to take and trap you. To kind of go along with what he was saying, it, it makes me think of when Pastor was saying, you know, if you are, are prone to fighting or you, you know, think that there's a chance that you could ever have a disagreement with your spouse ever in your life, you know, which never happens to most of us, but some of us do. Um, you know, to pre-fight that battle, kind of, you know, to have that already ready so that when you get to that point, it doesn't evoke that anger. It doesn't, you know, cause that huge ruckus in your household. It's something that you've already thought of, you know, ooh, let me, let me take this under control before we get to that point. And this is the same thing. You know, like he was saying, if you take control of it before you get to that point, then, then when you get to that point and you see that temptation or you see that, you know, desire for something, you're going to say, no, I know I can't do that. I know that, oh, now I have all that money. Well, no, I can't go buy a yacht. That's stupid. You know, maybe I should donate to the building fund instead. And, take, and, and going with that, you're dealing with the arguments of a spouse you know what the triggers are. And you know those triggers when you go to that point will just trigger the argument larger, right? And sometimes we try to exploit those and utilize those just to set our spouses off, right? It's wrong. You're not taking that captive. You're allowing it to control you. And so... Going through that and saying, you know what? No, I'm not going to react to that. Because I see what it is. I see that Satan is just simply trying to destroy this relationship. And he comes in and he comes in that way. And I'm going to take and go in this direction. And now we begin the fissure. Because how does he destroy the church? He destroys the church by destroying families, right? And it makes it difficult. I, I, when you're a, a uh, part of a pastor's family, you end up being used as, as uh, illustrations. So... I have one of my kids. I am very proud of her. In the fact that there was many times that she could have gone one direction and would have just destroyed her family. And she had every reason to go one direction. And instead, she bound it together and kept it. Better or worse, she had, uh, I'm just so proud of her on it. It's not easy to do, to grab those things and say, you know, I'm not going down that path. Somebody else? Um, when you're talking about triggers, it applies to so many different areas. Like anxiety, we know, like I, I struggle with anxiety, and I know I'm triggered when I'm watching the news or dwelling um, on what the world is showing me, you know, and not what God is showing me. And, and it's important to recognize our triggers for so many things, our fears, our pride, jealousy, that kind of thing, and take those thoughts, those triggers, and be like, oh, no, I know what this is. <laughs> Satan's trying to trigger me right now. And, and just recognizing the triggers in every aspect of yeah. our life. Yeah, huge. Getting to know yourself. 
There's nobody that knows you better than God does. And he knows what's going to set you off and what's going to take and, and put you in the right, wrong direction. And you say, God, you got to show me those. And we got to be honest with ourselves to say, no, I'm not going to allow those things. Or when we do, we go, well, okay, I, I recognize what this is. I'm going to take and step back. You know, those times that you're alone and you're going, going down a wrong path, That's the easiest path to go down. What's hard is to step back and say, no, I'm going to get in the word right now. I'm going to get in prayer right now because I don't want to. But when we're down, it makes it harder. If you are at a low point emotionally, mentally, physically, you're not getting the right amount of sleep. You're not getting the vitamins. You're not getting whatever. It is the point that attack will come. I had to recognize it today. Today I had set aside the afternoon was going to be my time to relook at my notes and get things together. And I can't tell you how many times something interrupted my day and I had to deal with this work issue and that work issue. And it came all the way up and I'm came five o'clock and I'm going, I haven't had time. And I had to take and set everything aside and make sure that I was set. I had to get my mind in the right position because I was getting frustrated. And I was reacting to things I shouldn't have with my with with Didi. It's just I had to step back because I became frustrated and Satan was using that as a trigger for me. Because the things were going on weren't bad. I mean, they weren't wrong. They, I needed to deal with them. But it was causing me to frustrate and lose sight and emphasis for tonight. Those important pieces. It's taking those thoughts captive. says it all depends on whether your man is of the desponding type who can be tempted to despair or of the wishful thinking type who can be assured that all is well. Which one are you? Are you the Eeyore type that all is bad and the world's going, going in a handbasket or are you the type that there's a rainbow everywhere? Right? Knowing yourselves makes a big difference on how Satan attacks. Within the army, units, brigade units, about 5,000 soldiers, will go off to what we call NTC or JRTC. They're national training centers. We have one more over in Europe. And they go there to learn about themselves. It's a peer-to-peer fight that they're doing. On it, and I just was stationed at NTC before I came back here about 18 months ago. And you find out what you suspect, but don't don't always, not always told, is that when we have a unit called Eleventh ACR at NTC, they're the home full advantage. They know NTC is the size of Rhode Island, and they're going to be expanding. That's how big of a play, playing field they have to bring all the tanks and all the equipment and whatnot to, for this fight. And they utilize it. And when you have home and field advantage, you're going to win because you know all the nooks and crannies. You've, you've been there long enough. But if they're winning too much, they turn it down because the other team, the team that's there, we call the rotational unit, isn't learning anything, and they become frustrated and despondent. Say, what's the use? If the other team, the rotational unit, is winning, they crank it up so that they'll lose. Why? What's the point of doing those things? So the unit can get to know their strengths and weaknesses. So they get to understand themselves. We got to be willing to go through those times and then we're talking about here, talk about dry times, okay, to learn about ourselves. Because as that unit learns about themselves, they understand their weak points, and they know how to take now and adjust. So when they go and deploy and face an enemy, 
the enemy can exploit their weaknesses as well because they've shorn them up. They go back to home station and they go, okay, we have to work on this. They don't work on the stuff that they know so well. They go work on the stuff that they don't know so well. That is a weak point for them so that that weak point can become strong. These dry times for us are in a similar fashion. It's a time that we get to learn about ourselves and understand ourselves, and we should use them as a training environment. So we go, oh, that's where I'm weak at. That's where I'm struggling at. That's where I have a problem at. I need to shore that up. We don't forget about the strong points because if we don't, if we don't keep exercising the strong points, they become our weak points, right? I will tell you, secret about the American military is we exploit their weakness straight on. When it came to the, the uh, Revolutionary Guard there, we didn't go straight into that group of people. That'd be crazy. They're the, they're the best of the best over there. But we exploited their weaknesses, and that got us to the point we could exploit the Revolutionary Guard that was the ones that we had to get to. Uh, I come... I- uh, for me, I know this, this, like for a lot of us in the military study, like the art of war, you know, Sung Tzu said, know your enemy, know yourself. So the same thing that you're talking about, we have to be honest with ourselves about what are those temptations, what are those stumbling blocks, and reverse. know your enemy as well, know how the adversary is going to use those to exploit them back. Uh, and so for me, it took a while to be honest about what some of those are, and then to be more aware of how the enemy is going to exploit those low times so that I am prepared with them. Yeah. Maybe it's drinking. Maybe it's TV. Maybe it's whatever. you, you got to know yourself what he's going to exploit. And not only honest with yourself about that, but honest with your spouse. You know, it's another thing that pastor has kind of talked about too a lot is especially things your spouse really comes to, you know, to that. Because like you said, you know, God knows us more than anybody, but your spouse is probably second to that. You know, those of us who have been married for any, any length of time or been together with, you know, somebody for any length of time, you know those things, you know those triggers like you're talking about, but you also know those temptations and for them to be able to, you know, to help you in that or because, or, you know, whatever it may be, but yeah. to be able to bring them into that is, is going to be hugely helpful as that front. And one of the reasons why I think we do have spouses is, is to, you know, that united front. Is that united front? So it's, it's. Sharing with, it's, if you have an account, do you have somebody, I have a buddy I could call up anytime, day or night, and say, I'm struggling with this area, and he does not hold arms against me, he points, stands, and he, he gives me so that we can win that battle. It's kind of like Aaron and Ur with Moses, when the Israelites were fighting, raised up his hands, and they won. When they drop his hands, they had trouble. You had those people coming alongside you. Yeah, I was going to say spouse or a wife. Uh, like if you're single, uh, I have at least three women that I know that in my life and I'll be like, <laughs> same thing. Like I'm struggling right now and I need prayer or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and just making, and pastor talks about that all the time, having those intentional people in your life and still can also call you out. <laughs> the relationship to be able to go to that, to have those people you go to that aren't going to take and just wind you up more until it tears that marriage apart, but those that go to you and say, yeah, you're right, but you're also wrong, and here's why. You, spouses, you want to take and, and really help your spouse. Husbands, love your wife. So the reason wives stray oftentimes is because they're not getting the love that they need, and someone's going to come along and fill, fill that space. Husbands love what to do. There's a reason wives have no issue loving their husbands. Sometimes they have issues respecting them. But if you don't respect them, somebody's going to come along and respect them for you, and that's going to draw them away. Knowing you in those things, you have only a way of experienced Christians. I like this, this quote here. You have only got to keep them out of the way of experienced Christians, an easy task nowadays. I'm not talking about just anybody. I'm talking about those who fall in the faith. He says, keep them come alongside and speak. Why? 
He says to direct his attention to the appropriate passage that they, those experienced Christians who are solid in faith, they're pillars in, within his attention, right? Scripture, and then to set him to work on the desperate design of recovering his old feelings by sheer willpower, and the game is ours. So if you keep him away from that, and he goes searching the scriptures on his own, it's that isolation. You get isolated, you're the scriptures to take and bring ourselves together, especially in the last days. What's the point of corporate worship is the fact we come together and we encourage one another. We're going to, hey, you're struggling. Do you have to be church to be a Christian? No, but you're going to take your walk going a lot of hard times because you get isolated. Right? Get isolated. We've got to be able to come together. Satan wants to isolate us. Keep them away from that person. They can search scripture on their own. And what happens when we search scripture on their own and we have in the world? That off of? We can go, they were out on their own looking at scripture and they allowed themselves to go in the wrong way. Nobody held them accountable. As no real. The bottom of this paragraph says amusing. Satan doesn't want us to lose our faith. He wants us to make us mediocre. Why? What happens if we're mediocre Christians? In your faith, nothing. So be it. We'll, we'll take you if you... Satan essentially says, we'll take you if you fall away from your faith. But that said, you're mediocre. You're not igniting anything. You're not moving forward. You're not moving anywhere. You're probably going backwards. We'll take that. As a win. It's a win. Drawn to it. It's all right. Moderate religion, it, it's that. Just religion. It's not a relationship. It's not growing. It's not exciting. And let make it feel like the faith is just a... Uh, uh-oh. It's a problem when you happen to have digital... Faith. Uh, I've lost everything. It's all right. I can get through this. <laughs> Talks about faith is a phase. Just let them think it's a phase. It was a phase like any other phase. You went through one phase, you go through another. It was just a phase for you. Right? Out of that phase. Market is just a phase. We will. Right? I think I'm back. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't think I am. Something happened. He talks at the end. He talks about taking and losing that hope. Losing that trust. You got the... Thank you. Be back up. I'm back up. Thank you. I don't know what happened, but that's okay. Satan thought he was going to not get this last part in here. The last paragraph says, you see the idea? Keep his mind off the plain antithesis between true and false. Nice, shadowy, blessed word. It was a phase. It was adolescent. The thing I look in this is he says to keep his mind off the true and false. And I think of the passage out of Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8 says... Finally, brothers and sisters, keep your pure, or is right, or deserves praise. Satan wants us to do the opposite. And that's what he says. Wormwood says, excuse me, Scrooge says to Wormwood in this last, is keep him off the true. What's true and false? Keep him out of that. And God says, is honorable. Mind on what is true. When we put our minds on that, then the things of the flesh, those pleasures that can turn evil pain in the pleasurable part that God's captive true what is right what is honorable I think is what we take out of this because pleasure is not wrong pleasure used wrong is wrong how do we pray about this as pastors what's our focus stay focused 
They focus on the true, the, the right, the honorable. They focus on trapping those thoughts that are wrong and going in the right direction. Amen. You have designed. Heavenly Lord, we see it throughout Scripture that there's things that are pleasurable that you have created. And in the right context, in the right way, they, they bring us to glorifying you. In the wrong way, to not focus on you. Let us learn how to take those thoughts captive. Let us learn how to think about the things that are right, true, and pure. Honorable Heavenly Father, you have created checks in the right way and put aside those things that will draw us from the wrong places. Help us as a body help one another to encourage and, and draw people, people in the right way, not a phase. Those mature Christians, and we go through those, and we learn about ourselves. Let us be prepared in our weaknesses to defend ourselves, Heavenly Father, through your power and your blood and your word. Lord, we ask that you keep your hand on Scott as he continues to rind your strength and Friday strength, for it's not by his will or his might, but by your Holy Spirit and your son Jesus that he can do all things and be a test man. Have a great night, great week. Hope to see you Sunday. As pastor says sometimes, you don't have to leave, you don't have to stay, don't have to go home, but you don't have to